Good evening, and welcome back. Glad you're able to be with us tonight. Tonight I've uh, entitled this particular handout, Being Ready for the Lord's Coming. Introduction, we've all heard uh, the phrase, here I come, ready or not. Uh, The Lord is coming, whether we are ready or not, we are to be ready for the Lord's coming. Key verse is Matthew 24, 44, therefore you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. The theme for tonight is... We need to prepare, be prepared because we do not know when the Lord will come. So a consideration of the material in Matthew 24 regarding the Lord's coming. But as we look at this material, it raises a question, and that is, does the uncertainty regarding the times the Lord will come necessitate a pre-tribulation view? Is the idea that the Lord will come as a thief compatible with a post-tribulation view? Uh, I'm really in a quandary in some ways, and working our, our way through Matthew 24 and 25, because I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible, but there are certain concepts that you have to bring up in order to be able to deal with the material that's contained in Matthew 24 and 25. It is not my intent to have a full-blown uh, presentation of all the eschatological positions regarding the end times, nor a discussion of every single thing that's going to take place in the end time. Uh, We aren't even going to do that when we look at the book of Daniel. But if you're interested in more of that, uh, we are going to be doing a Sunday school class in the book of Daniel in the fall. It's going to be team taught by Pastor Dave, myself, and Chris Moritz. Uh, We haven't gotten together to iron that all out yet, so I don't know exactly what we're going to do. I would imagine I'm going to take the future prophetic uh, portions out of Daniel, but I don't know how detailed we're going to be with the three of us working through this book. But uh, you'll get more there. But we do need some background. And so we need to talk about the rapture. We need to talk about the tribulation. The tribulation is a seven-year period that is future to us. We read in Matthew 24 that there's going to be tribulation. There's been tribulation down through the ages There are parts of the world where there's tribulation today, but there's going to be a worldwide tribulation, future to us, that is a seven-year period of duration. It is divided into two halves, uh, three and a half years each, the second three and a half years known as the Great Tribulation, for that is the time in which there is the greatest outpouring of uh, Satan's wrath against the people of God. It's going to be a difficult time. It's also God pouring out his wrath uh, upon uh, the unbelieving world. And so uh, that is a time future. 
There are two major rapture views. Of course, there are three. There's pre-tribulation rapture. There's mid-tribulation rapture, sometimes called pre-wrath rapture, but it's the same thing. And then there's the post-tribulational view. I'm going to deal with the, the two most common, and that's the pre-trib and the post-trib. So let us at least understand what these views teach. In the pre-tribulational view, the rapture, which is believers being caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air. That's what we mean by the word rapture, Okay. Whoever is using that word, that's what it means. It's talking about the time in which believers are caught up into uh, the clouds to meet Jesus. In the pre-tribulation view, believers being caught up in the clouds to meet Jesus in the air takes place before the seven-year tribulation period begins. The Lord appears in the clouds. The dead believers are resurrected. The believers who are alive are caught up to meet the Lord and are taken with him to heaven. At the end of the seven-year period of tribulation, Jesus descends to earth, accompanied by those who are in heaven. Those who came to faith during the tribulation and were killed are resurrected. Jesus brings judgment to the non-believing world, and the millennial reign begins. That's the thousand-year earthly reign of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the rapture, in the pre-tribulational view, is so that the church will not experience the tribulation. They are spared from that. Those people who come to know the Lord during the tribulation period, of course, are going to have to go through it. But the understanding is that the, the church will be spared from that by being taken off the earth. The post-tribulational view is that the rapture, that is believers being caught up into the clouds to meet Jesus in the air, takes place at the end of the seven-year period of tribulation. As the Lord descends to earth, the dead believers are raised, the believers who are alive are caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and accompany him to earth. Jesus brings judgment to the non-believing world, and the millennial reign begins. The purpose of the rapture is for believers to be immediately separated from non-believers and welcome and usher in the conquering king. Okay. Just for a little more detail, I didn't want to go into a whole lot, but this word to meet the Lord in the air is a significant word. It's only found three times in the New Testament. The particular Greek word that's used for meet. English word meet we find loads of times. But the Greek word that's used for meet the Lord in the air is found three times. It's found in Matthew 25, 6. That's important. Because that's in the framework of the passage we're looking at. So it does appear in Matthew 25, 6. It appears in 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. And the third place it appears is in the book of Acts. In Acts 28, 15. It's an interesting passage and in that context, in Acts 28, 15, it's the believers in the elders in Rome going out to meet Paul as he comes into Rome. Okay? When we think about this meeting, uh, it's like when the uh, allied forces came into cities uh, as they were liberating them. And the peoples would run out and greet the tanks and... Uh, Accompanying them as they go into the city. In the post-tribulational view, it's like that. Okay, moving on. John MacArthur. I've been using him because he holds to a pre-tribulational view. So I've been quoting him to be fair 
to that view. Let me say up front, I personally hold to a post-tribulational view. The Bible Fellowship Church doesn't take a stand on the tribulation. There are men serving with us that are pre-trib. It's possible there are men that are mid-trib, and there are men that are post-trib. We all work happily together. We all get along. We all minister. I say these things aren't worth fighting about or dividing about. Uh, So, you know... Don't get all bent out of shape, but that's where I'm coming from. And I'm using John MacArthur to represent that view and trying to represent it fairly. Okay, moving on. Oh, so let me quote him. In Matthew 24, 25, Jesus addresses those who will be alive during the generation of the tribulation. So MacArthur's view is that Matthew 24 and 25 is speaking about the time after the tribulation. But believers today should be prepared for the Lord's coming in the rapture of the church. So I'm just demonstrating that MacArthur does believe in a pre-tribulational rapture position. Moving on, number one. The exact time of the Lord's coming cannot be known, but the season of his return is discernible. Matthew 24, 32. Now I'm just working through the text. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. That's why I used the word season. You can know the season. You can know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Number two, the generation that is alive To see the signs that are previously described will experience the Lord's coming. We looked at those signs last week. The generation that's alive at that time is going to experience the Lord's coming. Verse 34, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. This generation is not the people that Jesus is talking to. He's not saying, you people aren't going to die until this happens. Okay, uh, That's obviously true, but that's not what Jesus was saying. He's saying that the generation that sees these signs, they are not going to pass away. Notice what Matthew 24, 29, and 30 states. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven. And the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. That generation is going to see it. The generation that is alive at that time, that the signs come, can know that Jesus will come in their lifetime. Now an aside. Not their individual lifetime, but the lifetime of their generation. It's not a promise that everybody who sees the signs is going to be alive when Jesus comes. Some people are still going to die two months later, three months later, whatever the case may be. But the point is that the majority of the people that are alive, that that generation, that group of people, are going to see the Lord's return. It's going to happen 
that quickly. It's going to happen within their generation. It's going to happen within their lifetime. Three, although the time of the Lord's coming is not certain, the fact of the Lord's coming is certain. Verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. My words are going to come true. No one knows the precise time of the Lord's return. Verse 36, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, not the Son, but the Father only. The angels do not know the exact time of the Lord's return. Jesus does not know the exact time of his return. Certainly, then, we do not know the exact time of his return. Nor will that generation know the exact time of his return. They can know it is near. But they can't know exactly when it's going to take place. Now, the Lord's coming is likened unto the days of Noah, Matthew 24, 37 and following. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect." So now I want to unpack that. First, it is like the days of Noah, for people will continue on with the regular events of their lives. Verses 38 and 39. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man. Now a quote from MacArthur. Jesus used the flood to illustrate the point he was making about the coming of the Son of Man, namely, that the attitude that prevailed during the days of Noah before the flood will also characterize most people living during the end time just before Christ returns. They will not be expecting his coming and will not care about it despite the perilous signs and wonders. They will simply be unconcerned about the things of the Lord, especially the prospect of his imminent return to judge them. Okay? Talking about the non-believers. They're just going to continue to live as they always did. Again, going on and quoting from MacArthur. They therefore went about their daily routines of eating and drinking, of marrying and giving in marriage. It was business as usual until the day Noah entered the ark and it started to rain. Even when his prediction began to be fulfilled before their eyes, they did not take his warning to heart. Let me just slow down here and say, I apologize. I know I'm, I'm reading pretty quickly. I say this every once in a while for people that are new because 
I read about five times faster than I'm reading out loud when I'm reading these things to myself, okay? So if I read any more slowly than what I'm reading, I stumble crazily over these words because I'm way, way ahead. So this is about as slow as I can read without fumbling like crazy. So I apologize, but it's here before you so you can read it if you can't keep up with me. Next, Noah had built and preached for 120 years yet without having the slightest impact on anyone outside his immediate family. The people were so untouched by God's truth that they did not understand their perilous situation until the flood came and took them all away into a godless eternity. Flood translates cataclysmos, which means deluge or washing away, and is the term from which the English cataclysm is derived. Only after it was too late did the people of that generation understand their tragic destiny. That is precisely the attitude and response that will prevail before the coming of the Son of Man. The perilous signs, the abomination of desolation, the disruption of the heavenly bodies, and the preaching of God's witnesses during the tribulation will have no effect on the majority of them. They will see God's signs but attribute them to natural causes or to supernatural causes apart from God. They will hear his word in one instance, supernaturally preached worldwide by an angel, but they will respond with disdain or indifference. They will heed neither warnings nor appeals from God. Up until this very moment, the Son of Man appears to confront them in righteous judgment. In other words, you know, people will, will say, how in the world can people be alive in the tribulation period and not know that the Lord is coming? How can they be So, indifferent to that answer, it is the hardness of man's heart. It is the sinfulness of mankind. It's like in the time of Moses before Pharaoh and the plagues that came upon the uh, nation of Egypt and Pharaoh's heart was hardened and refused to believe and refused to let the children of Israel go. So the non-believing world is going to be hardened and they are going to be impervious to this. They're going to continue to live their lives as they always lived them, despite everything that's going on around them. But for the believing people, there are going to be some believing people there. Whether you're pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib, there are believers in the tribulation. Some think all the believers. Some think it's the people that come to faith. But the point is, there are some believers. In fact, we saw in Matthew 24, if it were, it's for the sake of the elect that the days are cut short. The believers are going to know the time is getting short. Everybody else is going to be impervious. Five, when the Lord returns... The believers will be separated from the non-believers. Matthew 24, 40 and 41. Then two will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Again, the words of John MacArthur. Like the people of Noah's days, the generation of the tribulation will be warned and warned and warned again. Some of them will have been warned many times before the tribulation while the church is still on earth proclaiming the gospel. When the Son of Man finally appears in his second coming judgment, then there shall be two in the field, one will be taken and one will be left. Two will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken, one will be left. Jesus is giving a figure 
parallel to the unbelievers of Noah's day being taken away by the judgment through the flood when he returns. One will be taken to judgment, the other will be left to enter the kingdom. This is the same separation described in the next chapter by the figures of speech and goats, 25, 32 to 46. The ones will be Christ's sheep, his redeemed people, whom he will preserve to reign with him in the millennium. So, John MacArthur is saying, verses 40 and 41 is not the rapture. It's the Lord's coming in judgment. Okay, just... So we're all on the same page. Moving on. Now I'm quoting from D.A. Carson. It is neither clear nor particularly important whether taken means taken in judgment, through, though the verb took away differs from taken in verses 40-41, or taken to be gathered with the elect. In other words, Carson says it doesn't make a whole lot of difference if To be taken means that the ungodly are taken away in judgment and the believers are left. Or if it's the believers that are taken up in the rapture and the ungodly are left. Carson says it doesn't make a whole lot of difference. The difference is that there's a separation. okay, And one people are going to be blessed. And the other people are going to be judged. Moving on. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But you do need to make applications about the Lord's return. So now I'm going to slow down and try to work through just one issue in this passage. Matthew 24, verse 33. A consideration of Jesus' return like that of a thief. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house broken into. The thief is a very important image in New Testament prophecy. Again, quoting MacArthur, The generation living during the tribulation is specifically told they will not know the exact time of Jesus appearing, but they are informed in detail as to what the signs immediately preceding it will be. In other words, to carry out the figure Jesus uses here, they will know with absolute certainty that the thief will be breaking into the house sometime very soon, and they should be prepared accordingly. It goes without saying that Jesus was not comparing himself in character to a thief, but was comparing his coming to the stealth and unexpectedness of a thief's coming. I put this in bold, this is not in bold in his commentary, but I put it in bold for it's the most important statement here. The New Testament frequently compares the second coming to a thief's coming, Luke 12, 35 to 40, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, 2 Peter 3, 10, and Revelation 3, 3, and Revelation 16, 15. In every passage that deals with the Lord's return, You've got this imagery of a thief. That's very important to know. Every passage that deals with the Lord's return, you've got this imagery of a thief. There are other imageries that are present. Okay? You've got birth pangs that are present. You've got trumpets that are present. Um, resurrection. There, there are a number of things that 
you've got to put together in all these, these passages. They, they come up time and time again, especially last trumpet and so on. I'm not going to go into all those other imageries and all the specifics of those things. I'm going to stick with our text, and our text is talking about the thief. So tonight, we want to look at what does the Bible say about Jesus' coming as a thief. Moving on. It seems to me, and others, including John MacArthur, that the thief passages regarding the Lord's coming are all to be understood in the same way. Okay? There are not different images. They are all the same image. Number one, 1 Thessalonians 5.1 begins by saying that Paul is not writing anything new regarding the timing of the Lord's return. This is the most famous thief passage in the pre-tribulational view. That's why I'm here. Okay. First Thessalonians 5.1 begins by saying that Paul is not writing anything new regarding the timing of the Lord's turn. Now concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need to have anything written to you. Paul says, I'm not talking anything new about the times and the seasons. The idea of the Lord's coming as a thief is not a new idea. Verse 2, for you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You know that. You're aware of that. That's common teaching. 1 Thessalonians 5.3, while people are saying there is peace and security, then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. Again, that is a common figure. We ran into it in Matthew 24 already when it talked about the labor pains. Okay, The imagery of the labor pains. Note that the suddenness is like that of labor pains. A woman knows that she is pregnant, but she doesn't know when she's going to go into labor. And we've gotten pretty... Uh, sophisticated about predicting birth dates, predicting times in which a lady is going to give birth. But even in all the sophistication we have, you don't know precisely when that birth is actually going to take place. Now, it's a poor analogy because we're back in New Testament times when they didn't have all the technology, etc., etc. But even today, my first child. Better probably said Bonnie's first child. Sarah. Bonnie had a doctor's appointment at four o'clock in the afternoon. He examined her. He said you could go anytime or it could be two weeks. Didn't he say two weeks? Yeah, okay, I got that right. Okay. It could be anytime or it could be two weeks. That was at four o'clock. At 6 o'clock, she is at home typing a paper for me. And she starts going into labor pains. And being the thoughtful, devoted husband I am, said, you got to type faster. Because i got I to get this done. This is due tomorrow. You know, keep going. It'll take your mind off of it. Well, <laughs> but the point of the illustration is not my... <clears throat> insensitivity, it's the fact that the doctor examined her two hours before and didn't know when she was going to go into labor. 
Knew it was going to be soon, but didn't know when. That's the imagery of the labor pains consistently in the scriptures. Moving on. The Lord's return is not to come as a thief to believers. 1 Thessalonians 5.4 But you are not in darkness, brothers. Notice the brothers. That's believers. You are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. Okay? You are not to be surprised like, the, like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or the darkness. So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Now again, listen to the words of John MacArthur, who holds to a pre-tribulation rapture position. He takes 1 Thessalonians 5 as referring to the Lord's coming in judgment. The metaphor of a thief, these are... MacArthur's words, the metaphor of a thief coming is never used to refer to the rapture of the church. It describes the coming of the Lord in judgment at the end of the seven-year tribulation period. And the judgment at the end of the thousand-year uh, thousand kingdom of Christ on earth. 2 Peter 3.10 A thief coming is not a hopeful, joyful event of deliverance, but an unexpected calamity. That's also significant for the famous verse that pre-tribulational rapture people like to use, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, God has not appointed us wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ is 1 Thessalonians 5.9. It's in association with this thief passage. Again, the Pre-Trib Research Center, an organization that promotes the pre-trib rapture position, states, and I quote, the thief in the night imagery never applies to the rapture. Such language is usually descriptive of unbelievers and God's wrath or judgment related to the tribulation or second coming. The picture painted by a thief in the night shows it as the unbeliever who is caught off guard since he never really believes God is actually going to judge in history. The unbeliever thinks he has gotten away with ignoring God all his life. Therefore, the Lord is not a factor, he thinks. The point of the Bible is, boy, is he in for a big surprise one day. Just like an individual is robbed by a thief. When one is robbed, it is an event that disrupts the normal status of coming home every day in the past to a house that is as it should be. Like the slothful student who is never ready for the exam and therefore caught off guard when it actually comes. So the unbeliever will never be ready since he either does not believe in God at all or does not believe that God will ever hold him accountable. Pre-Trib Research Center, Dr. Thomas Ice. Now, number six. The idea that the thief in the night speaks of the rapture of the church was most notably promoted by the film A Thief in the Night, seen by over 300 million people. How many people saw A Thief in the Night? Okay, you're showing, showing your age. Okay, uh, 1970s film, and... Uh, uh, was shown in the 80s, over 300 million people saw a thief in the night. The premise is that the thief in the night is talking about the rapture of the church and people taken away. Okay, that's the premise. John MacArthur, the pre-tribulational research group, says that's wrong. The imagery of the thief is taken in judgment 
not taken in a pre-tribulation rapture. Moving on, Dr. Charles Ryrie, a leading proponent of dispensationalism and a former professor at Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, He was also the uh, former president of what was then uh, Philadelphia uh, College of the Bible. Uh, makes this helpful summary of how the view of the Lord's coming as a thief has changed in dispensationalism over the years. Um, He wrote a book in 1966 entitled Dispensationalism Today. When I was back in Bible college, they used that as a textbook on dispensationalism. Dispensationalism Today, written in 1966. He then wrote an updated version in uh, 1995, that's uh, 20 years ago now, but he wrote an updated version in 1995 simply entitled Dispensationalism. <clears throat> Since then, our brother has gone home to be with the Lord. He died in uh, February of this year. <clears throat> but uh, I quote uh, Dr. Ryrie because he's kind of the uh, spokesman for dispensationalism. Uh, having taught at uh, both PBU and uh, uh, Dallas being bastions of dispensationalism. And this is what uh, he says, and I quote from the latter book, the the more recent book, Dispensationalism. This is what he says under pre-tribulational rapture. The distinction between Israel and the church leads to the belief that the church will be taken from the earth before the beginning of the tribulation, which is one major sense concerns Israel. Pre-tribulationalism has become a part of normative dispensational eschatology. Now, these are the important words. Originally, this was due to the emphasis of the early writers and teachers on the imminency of the return of the Lord. More lately, it has been connected with the dispensational conception of the distinctness of the church. All I'm saying is dispensationalism has moved. Years ago, the position was that because Jesus is going to come as a thief, that means there's going to be a pre-tribulational rapture. Most of the modern dispensationalists have looked at those passages and say, well, that's not sustainable. Because the thief isn't supposed to come to the church. uh, Jesus is not supposed to come to the church as a thief. They're supposed to be ready. He comes to the non-believing world as a thief. So, this is my summary. Dr. Ryrie refers to the shift that has taken place even within dispensationalism. Most of the dispensationalists writing today base the belief on the pre-tribal rapture not because of the teaching of the imminency of the Lord's return, but because of their belief in the different purposes of God for the church and for Israel. I do not think that is a a controversial statement. I think that's just straight up. Uh, that's what dispensationalists would say. They base the view of the pre-tribulational rapture on the difference between church and Israel. Okay, It's not based anymore on the thief passages and etc. It's based on the distinction between church and Israel. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to unpack all that. I'm just throwing it out there so you can be aware of it, especially if you've seen the movies and the Left Behind series. The Left Behind series was based on the Thief in the Night series. So says 
uh, Hal Lindsey and uh, the other writer of that, they based it on that. So all of that material, okay, I'm just telling you that dispensationalism no longer takes that view. Although, I did have one other quote here somewhere. I, I, I had to make it to print. I've got to see where, where I'm missing. Somewhere I went ahead. Oh, under uh, 9C. I missed 9C. However, I, I'm, I'm not 9C. On page 9. Okay, on page 9, look at C at the top of the page. Everybody with me? Somehow I skipped that. Page 9, C. Second paragraph on the top of the page. Everybody with me? Shake your head. Okay, good. Okay, however, some people who teach the pre-tribulational rapture still base it on the thief passages of the scriptures. The following is from a Bible studies course entitled Understanding Bible Prophecy, 4th edition, rewritten in large August 2012. The rapture will occur as a thief in the night, 1 Thessalonians 5.2, but this is not how the Lord's return and glory will occur. It will come with unmistakable signs in the heavens and will be seen by all. Matthew 27.31, the rapture pertains to the church, whereas Christ's second coming pertains to Israel and the world. So it tries to put the two together. But I'm just telling you that there are very few that are still doing that. Most have just given up the idea that the thief passages speak of the rapture. <clears throat> Moving on. Summary. Eight. The Thessalonian passages, the Thessalonian passage seems to correlate very well with the Matthew 24 passage. Therefore, stay awake. For you do not know on what day our Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house broken into. For those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. It is speaking of the same event. Conclusion. The believer is to be ready for the coming of the Lord and not be like those who are not ready for the Lord's coming and it will come upon them as a thief. The return will take the unbeliever by complete surprise and it will be like a thief's coming. However, the return of the Lord is not to come like a thief to the believer. However, the believer will not know exactly when the Lord is going to come So he or she should be ready. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Okay, these phrases. Okay, we move from seasons to days to hours. Okay, it's talking about that it's going to happen soon, but you don't know when it's going to happen. Another illustration. My father lived with us, as you know, for a number of years. He had Alzheimer's. And Alzheimer's not only greatly affected his uh, mental faculties, but it it affected his overall health. And he continued to decline. And he continued to decline pretty precipitously. Okay, And uh, we had the the wonderful uh, assistance of Donna Hostetter. 
who would come in and sit with my father sometimes and help with some of the medical issues and so on. So a shout goes out to Donna Hostetter and an appreciation for all that she did in helping us with my father. Okay, As he continued to degenerate, we knew that his death was imminent. We knew that he was going to die. One Monday morning, it was my day off, and my wife and I decided that we're going to do some shopping. We went away, and in the middle of that morning, we got a phone call from Donna, and she said, your father died. Had I known that he was going to die that day, we wouldn't have gone shopping. I didn't know he was going to die that day. I knew he was going to die soon. I knew that his death was imminent, but I didn't know that he was going to die that day. And I actually thought it was going to be for a while, for it had been a long process. You need to understand, as we work away, there are five parables in Matthew 24 and 25. Five parables about the Lord's return. And as you read these five parables, you're going to note a tension in the parables. And that is the tension that exists between those who think that it's going to be right now and not ready for hanging in there for the long term. And then there are those that think it's going to be a long way off and are not ready when it happens much quicker than what they think. We need to maintain that tension even in our own thinking, okay? And kind of think where you are, okay? If you have the tendency to think, wow, that is all the way long off. You know, I'll never see that. Well, just be prepared. (laughs) You may be very much surprised. Or if you think, boy, that's going to happen tomorrow, well, it may not happen tomorrow, and it may not happen the next day, and it may not happen the next day, and you better be ready if it's sometime in coming. Those are the five parables, the tension, and we'll work through them and that tension. Um, so as we work through this passage, my understanding is that they depict the rapture And the coming judgment of God, for I see those two things as one event. Okay? If you hold to a pre tribulational rapture, you don't see it in Matthew 24 and 25. Just so we know where we're at, okay? If you hold to a pre tribulational rapture, you don't see it in Matthew 24 and 25. What you see is judgment, you see the Lord's return to earth. In Matthew 24 and 25. If you, hold to a pro, if you hold to a post-tribulational view, then you hold to this fact that you see both. You see, you see the rapture and you see judgment. Okay? Uh, looked at two different ways. And uh, that's the way I'm going to approach this uh, particular uh, passage. And then just one more polemic here. And that is we are in a passage that is asking about the signs. What is the sign of your coming? Let me just throw this out to you. It's amazing that if if the rapture happens before the tribulation, that that's not listed as a sign. 
of the Lord's return. If anything's going to be observable and notable, it's going to be that all the believers are taken off the face of the earth. That's a pretty impressive sign, I would think. But there's no reference to that in any sign passage concerning the Lord's return. Um, Again, I'm I'm trying to be open, and I, I don't want to fight. I don't want to create issues, but that's the approach that I'm going to be taking as we work through this. I'm not going to be rehearsing all this every night. I'm just going to look at the five parables and uh, try to demonstrate how they teach the tension of be ready if it doesn't happen as soon as you think and be ready if you think... What did I just say? Be ready if, you, if it doesn't happen as quickly as you think, and be ready if it's going to happen more quickly than you think, because it's going to happen when you don't think. None of us are going to think it's going to happen the moment it happens. Thus ends this section of Matthew chapter 24. I know that there is a meeting tonight. And by my watch, I hit it exactly at 8 o'clock. Let's pray. Our Father, help us as we think about readiness and what that entails for us as we look at these, these parables. Uh, help us, O oh God, uh, to understand the tension and help us to be ready. Uh, help us to be humble and to recognize that there's much about prophecy that is difficult to understand. And, uh, Lord, we don't understand it all. And certainly, if Jesus did not know when he is going to return, we don't know when he is going to return. So, Lord, help us to be faithful and uh, believing and trusting in your return. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and you are dismissed. If you want to talk more about these things, I'm available. Thank you.